There we go. Verner does uh, flow quite, quite a bit in the prophetic and just the Holy Spirit. So I've asked Verner and Taryn that um, just that they would be sensitive if they're feeling anything at the end of the uh, service, the gathering that we have here, if they're feeling anything, just to be released to do that. So open up your hearts. We might have, God might want to say something to some of us. That would be a novel idea. Let's pray again. And um, I'm just going to kind of quickly... <laughs> You know, when a preacher says he's going to go quick, what does that even mean? I don't know. I think this is just going to be a quick, short um, message. Um, I actually do want to give space if, if God wants to move prophetically and that kind of thing. So, but let's just open up our hearts. What we're about to do is such an amazing part of our journey here on this earth, hearing the word of God. And um, it's, you know, whatever I say from my own thoughts, that will end up meaning nothing in the scope of eternity but what we're doing right now is supernatural. And God has given us his word to be a light to our path. And we need to hear it. And it's the hungry who get filled. And so let's just ask with expectation, faith, and hunger that he would speak in this situation. So Lord, we thank you that we're not alone. Even if we don't see you, you are here. And you are so tremendously good. And you did not guarantee wonderful circumstances always, but you do guarantee that you are always good and you lead us. You lead us through the, the, the difficulties. You lead us to purpose and inheritance and fulfillment. And we just say, Father, we are so grateful to have as your sons and daughters inheritance, that we carry your name. Lord, today as we gather together, we ask that you speak to us, that we would that it would be more than a word, words of a man. It would be the voice from heaven opening up the eyes of our heart to hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, what we are looking at today, and perhaps over the next few weeks, is coming out of a bit of a study that I did on the promises of Jesus. So I've been studying, I was studying the promises of God in Genesis, and then I moved from that into the promises that Jesus made. And I, I was able to identify, over a few-month period, 50 promises that he made. At the end of this uh, study, I realized that is so marketable. The 50 promises of Jesus. I mean, how can we pass this up? But actually, I believe that the Lord has been speaking to us prophetically about um, kind of dancing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Dancing in the midst of mourning and brokenness, and difficulties, and, and uh, there was Vanessa Ramiro, she and her husband Jody came from East LA a few weeks ago, and she had a prophetic dream while she was here about this very city, and saw uh, the, the, the whole picture of mourning, and a kind of a funeral vibe, and one lady out of this crowd of mourners beginning to dance, and as she danced, the, the corpse began to twitch and ultimately rise up, and she said that she felt like the Lord spoke to her that that mourning is the brokenness of the city of Detroit and that there's mourning and depression and darkness and difficulty, but in the midst of this city, in the midst even of those circumstances, as his church, that woman representing the church, the bride of Christ, as she begins to dance, that we will literally see resurrection life in what is otherwise impossible circumstances. And so I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of you, and it's cool, may think I'm a flake, or Anna, you and I, we're flakes. 
starting to dance here. I'm, I'm dancing knowing that I look like a flake because I know the power of exuberantly beginning to declare by faith the goodness of God over my circumstances. And so what I want to just speak into for a moment here of these 50 promises is actually just starting with three today, but navigating through life's difficulties with the promises of Jesus. There's something about a promise that you can bank on this. This, These are the words of Jesus. And they're not only just the words of Jesus, these are specifically promises that he made that we absolutely can hang on to as an anchor in the midst of what looks like death and hopelessness. And so I just want to speak these powerful words over us uh, that we can grab onto and allow them to do in us what they are intended to do, that he would show himself good on our behalf when it looks like we've got no hope. So three things that we need in the midst of difficulty. One, I believe, would be God's will being done. Very simply, we don't want to see these circumstances. They aren't God's will This crud that I'm walking through, surely this isn't what heaven looks like. We want to see something of heaven, God's will being undone here on earth as it is in heaven. That's one. Two is that we need comfort. We need to be comforted. And that may sound so simple, but it's powerful. It is powerful. For those of you who are not in a place of comfort and you receive something of God's comfort, it is like water in a desert. And thirdly, we need... Um, we need our inheritance. We need what is ours. We need and desire ultimately after what he has designed for us to actually be done. It's inheritance. If you, that's a biblical term, and we'll get into it in just a little bit. So let's look with me. Matthew chapter 5. All three promises that we're looking come from the same passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Some of you know these as the Beatitudes Jesus, the first recording of him pulling his disciples away from these crowds that were following him, because there were crowds following him because he was doing miracles, and the first time that he pulls out of the crowds those who are disciples. Raise your hand if you know the difference between crowd and disciple. A disciple is somebody who's made a decision to follow Jesus, and he knows these are his. Those other he loves, but they aren't yet his because they haven't made a decision. These people have made a decision. I'm pulling them aside. He pulls them up into a mountain, which is a more difficult place to traverse. And it separates those who are determined to follow him from those who are just kind of casually checking things out. And he sits down and he begins to speak to them the things of the kingdom. He had been proclaiming the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom to the followers. But he starts to teach the disciples the kingdom. And the first thing he says in chapter uh, 5, verse 3 is blessed are the poor in spirit, here's your first promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this idea of possessing the kingdom of heaven, that sounds like quite a magnanimous promise. It is real though. So first of all, let's, let's, I'm going to tell you a little story in, about this just now, but in just a minute, but what, what are we talking about, possessing the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? This can so easily become religious jargon that we just kind of toss around in church and sounds real good, but what the heck actually is it? And we talk about this often, kingdom of heaven. The English word kingdom comes from two different words, king and domain. Dumb, king, dumb, king's domain. So the idea of the kingdom of heaven is the domain of the king. I'm going to say it another way. The kingdom of heaven 
is the realm in which the king's will is being done. How many of you know this earth is not the kingdom of God? This earth, because of sin and because of rebellion against God, has had sin enter in and everything has become twisted. And actually the scripture, if we're honest, refers to the God of this age being the Satan. So there's kind of like a, a temporary realm in this earth where we have good and we have evil, but the good in this earth is not the kingdom of God. Are you tracking? The king's domain is a spiritual realm in which God's perfect will is done. And when a human heart submits and surrenders to that king and says yes and puts with this body action to that yes, the kingdom of heaven is released into the earth as it is in heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we want is heaven. Who, who would say, I don't want heaven? <laughs> we want heaven, and yet heaven operates under the authority and leadership of other than ourselves. So if we want heaven, it's found in submission to the king of this kingdom, Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I want to tell you a quick story just to kind of illustrate the whole point here. Many of you know, in fact, we've already referenced it, we lived in South Africa for eight years. And uh, there was a, uh, the first three years, we had the privilege of working with a, uh, in a ministry called JAM, Joint Aid Management. Uh, and it was, uh, did, there was evangelism happening in Africa, as well as feeding that was happening in, in Africa. In fact, the last I knew, it was 1.2 to 1.3 million school kids in five different nations in Africa were being fed in school every single school day. That's quite amazing. Now, um, we, were, we were with this ministry. It was led by a man named Peter and his wife, Anne Pretorius. And um, they were close friends of uh, Rodney and Nita. And in fact, before, when they were just tiny unknowns, Rodney and Nita, who led a large church in kind of the, what, Southfield, Birmingham, Bloomfield Hills area back in the 80s, they invited these missionaries in South Africa, Peter and Anne, to come here, and it was their first entryway into America, which became the source of their major funding that has led to now 1.3 million people being fed in Africa, or children being fed in, in every school day in Africa. Not that it was all America, but there's, uh, there's a strong connection is what I'm getting at. In fact, you may notice that my oldest son's name is, and, and the Lord spoke the name Peter to me when, we first, when I first visited that mission base. Just, I'm just giving you some background on who this man is. He actually died uh, in uh, September of this uh, year, August? Se September, when we were in South Africa. So Rodney Nita had the privilege of being in the country when he passed away and, and was able to honor him at his memorial. So what, what am I talking about? This man. How did we get to feeding 1.3 million school kids in Africa. It started with this guy, grew up in a completely a-religious context, no church, no religion, no spirituality, nothing. He was a Formula One race car driver who later became a tobacco farmer, very successful, and uh, his father had a terminal illness, a heart disease, and some relative who was an elder in a um, uh, Assemblies of God church, went to go pray for his father who was terminally ill in the hospital with this heart condition, and he was miraculously, incontrovertibly, you could not deny, he was totally healed. 
and that freaked Peter out. He was now in his 30s. And so he talks to this, this relative of his who's, who's this elder in this church, like, what was that? Like, who is this Jesus and what is this? And this guy communicates to Peter the gospel. Peter is upset about this for a number of days, and finally he surrenders his life to Jesus about three days later, after which his wife surrenders to Jesus, radically converted, radically converted. They begin, long story short, they begin preaching the gospel all over South Africa. That journey leads them into other nations, nearby surrounding nations, and the government officials of Mozambique, who at that time was in a civil war, this is probably, I don't know, 1980, 84, 84, uh, they were in a civil war at that time. They allow Peter to go by plane into this kind of refugee base that they have to help take care of and to provide food for some of their civilians during this war-torn crisis. So Peter goes out there. They fly him in. They leave him there. And the next day, the plane never comes back to get him. And he's at this base, and there's no food. And there's hardly any potable water. And there are hundreds of people coming in every day looking for refuge from their government, and there, there's nothing there when they finally find it. And over a, the, that day goes and ends, and the next day goes and ends. No plane arrives. He's got no contact with the outside world. He can't contact his wife or his children. He doesn't know if he's going to die here. During this time period, 10 days goes by, and he, during this time, has buried 30-plus children due to starvation and thirst and disease amongst all these other people who are dying on a daily basis, leaving all these orphans, just wandering around this camp with absolutely no help. He's becoming a total broken person, and on the 10th day, he's with some elderly man who's, who's dying in his arms. He goes to get him water, comes back, and the man's dead, and in this moment, he breaks, and it's the end of his rope. And he finally, with anger coming up within his heart, says, why, God, would you allow this to happen? Some of these are your own people. How could you let this happen? And just voicing what is overwhelming his heart in this moment, the, 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 the hurt and the pain and that the outside world knows nothing about, cares nothing about, people dying totally helpless, he says, you've got to do something about this. And he feels the Lord say in that moment, whispered to his heart, you do something and I will be with you. Do what you can and I will be with you. And it was in that moment that Jam was birthed. And today we've got 1.3 million school kids, which is a, it's significant that they're feeding in school because that helps break the cycle of poverty in, a, in a, an impoverished subsistence farming area to give incentive to get the kids to not work farms, but rather go get an education. That's their key to getting out of this cycle of poverty with micronutrient-fortified porridge that they give the kids every day. It all started there. God allowed Peter to go through horrible circumstances. And God was with him in, the, in that moment. So what am I getting at here? Why am I saying this story? It's because difficulties can bring you and me to the end of ourself where we become willing to receive what God had already wanted to give us. Difficulties are designed. So, so God does not, all the difficulties that you and I face in this life, it's not that God has necessarily designed those. Are you hearing me? 
God didn't necessarily, please don't start saying God put me through this difficulty. He didn't necessarily. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. We all face difficulties. And I'll be honest with us charismatic Christians. Some of us oftentimes talk about the warfare we're going through. The person who's not even saved next door to you is going through the same thing. And we make everything so spiritual. This world has evil in it. And if you're a citizen or living in this world, you're going to walk through some evil. It's just part of living in this dimension. God, his sovereignty, is able to take what the devil or this earth or whatever it is throws our way and has a plan to use that very thing if we will seek him in the midst of it, if we will allow our heart to cry out to him for help. To use it to become the very catalyst and impetus of the, of the coming of his purpose and his plans for you. Difficulty in this earth can be, we feel it's a curse, but God has a redemptive plan to use it always as the very thing that, that spawns your purpose. There's something that we identify with in the difficulty we see of God that we would see no other, no other way. Now, now, difficulty of circumstances, do you have to be walking through those to be poor of spirit? No. And when we talk about poor, being poor of spirit, are we talking about people with empty bank accounts? No. It's poor of spirit. Difficulties, whether it's being financially difficult, whether it's going through a divorce, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a tragedy or whatever the case may be, you, you think about and categorize your own life right now because I'm sure there are difficulties, there are trauma happening perhaps in people's lives in here right now. Those have the ability to bring us to a place where we're willing, like Peter, in that place to cry out to God in a way that we never had before. I want to encourage you, the difficulties that you are walking through, God is bigger than them. Yes. And he is not intimidated by them. You and I may not see the way out. He not only sees the way out, he sees the way that he's going to turn it around and use it to the very thing that brings 1.3 million children to be fed every day. (laughs) It's only the poor in spirit who actually are able to receive the things of the kingdom of heaven. Why? This king's domain, this kingdom of heaven that we're talking about, it operates in a way that is completely counter to this world. It operates in a way that, is, that is, doesn't make sense to you and me and is not going to be necessarily comfortable to me. And while we love heaven coming to earth, we love walking in the kingdom of heaven, the steps that lead towards that place are, always look like stepping over a cliff's edge. They never make sense to us. They never feel comfortable necessarily. And it's the poor in spirit, those, in other words, who are desperate to receive something from God, those are the blessed ones, as Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the ones who are desperate enough to look to God and be willing to go wherever he's leading, they get to possess this kingdom in this earth. Now, if you've received Jesus, let's not be misunderstanding. If you and I have received Jesus by faith, through being born again, declaring him to be Lord, you have received him. His spirit comes and lives inside of you, and that spirit brings with it the domain of the king. And the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, don't say that it's here or it's there. It's nowhere geographical. It's within you, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is within you, but just because it's within you does not mean that your life is walking in it. 
and I could have a million dollars in my bank account, but if I don't put my card in the ATM or if I don't transact at the bank, I can have the funds there, but I don't have it. Do you understand what I mean? I'm not using it. I can have access to the kingdom of heaven because it's within me, but it doesn't mean I'm walking in it. It's those who are poor in spirit. They are the ones. That is the fundamental characteristic of the release of the God's kingdom in, in, this, in this earth, in this life. So I want to encourage you on a practical level, take your difficulty and number one, recognize it is blessing. Yeah. Uh, now, now, don't identify with your difficulty. Don't make your address your difficulty. Yeah. It's for learning, not for living. God brings you through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. However, it is designed in God's redemptive plan to bring about purpose and to allow the fundamental thing of the poverty of spirit. Lord, I have got to see your answer. Whatever it may be, I don't care anymore. If it is totally uncomfortable, I don't care. I want you. That heart attitude, guaranteed to find him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you tracking? Number two, go to verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How many of you like comfort? in the midst of difficulty. Navigating difficult life's difficulties in the promises of Jesus. The promise here is that you will be comforted. But don't you love what comes before that? Blessed are those who mourn. Peter, this Peter Pretorius man, had to experience something of mourning in that place in Pambara, Mozambique, Ten days being stranded, seeing children die, seeing people die, seeing what looked like no help at all. He had to see that and it had to touch his, his own mourning for him to ultimately receive comfort. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is what I'm going to encourage you with on this, is to allow your difficult circumstances to bring you to a place of mourning, to mourn whatever it is. Perhaps there's something in you that God is beginning to bring that, that needs to change and your difficult circumstances is beginning to touch on it and you need to allow it to change. Or perhaps it's difficult circumstances. Peter didn't understand this. He had a heart for the poor, but he had to actually identify and become one of them for a season to have God's full identification and heart for the poor and to fully identify with what God feels for it, for the poor. To allow the circumstances, the mourn to drive you to God. Allow your mourning of your circumstances to drive you to God and call out for help. That may seem so, so simple, so easy, but it's actually so powerful. Can I tell you a quick story on this? And I just want to be real with you guys, and I believe we're far enough into our church plant that I can actually say this to you. Uh, a little, little story that's not so far in our history, my history. Um, but uh, number one, church planting is uh, not for the faint of hearted. Number two, if God does not call you to church plant, I highly recommend that you do not do it. And uh, it will, it is, and if God does call you to it, it is going to mess you up. Uh, but God's in it and it can do some things. So, so uh, about one year in, some of you remember, we found ourselves in some, my family and I found ourselves in some financial difficulties, tight times, 
and uh, it was uncomfortable to, to say the least. But not only that, there were promises that had been made to me from people that I trusted, cared about, and respected, and that had financial implication that were not being followed through on, and there was no communication at all. And it's almost like the circumstances are bad enough, but the silence, the relational, what, what is this, hurt maybe even, as more, even more. And one particular day, I was dropping my kids off at school, and we were kind of at like the end of like, I just, I, we're at the end, you know, this is it. <laughs> and, um, and I dropped them off at school and, and, and cheers and love you guys, have a good day. And I was driving back home and it was the weight of the circumstances and it was the weight of feeling so abandoned and alienated and not cared for by people that I felt like I needed, that on a human level I needed that. And I was driving home, and I'm kind of going through the motions of praying. And then it's like my prayers are just empty. My heart is empty. I'm, I'm just toast. And, I've, and the song from Bethel, Pieces, some of you know it. You don't give your heart in pieces. Comes, comes on the back of the radio, and, or the, whatever, the stereo. And, uh, and I'm pulling onto my street, and I just break. And I haven't, I'm, what, 40 years old. I hadn't cried. Like, I'd cried because God touches me or I watch a touching movie. I hadn't cried, like, because I'm in anguish since I was, like, 17 years old. And, and I feel a cry coming on, and I feel like I just need to let it happen. I just started breaking. I mean, and, and, and I, I felt weird. It's like I'm crying. I feel like I'm feeling sorry for myself. I know that's not good. I know I'm supposed to trust God through difficult circumstances. All I had left was a cry, and I just started crying. And uh, as I'm crying, I just started being real with God. God, I, I, I just feel abandoned, and w- I've got to get your help. I remember saying that over and over. I've got to get your help. And right then, the chorus of the song, you don't give your heart in pieces, boom, boom, boom. And it was like this sense of God driving that statement into my soul in the middle of me crying that man maybe had given me a broken promise. He's promised one thing when it felt good to say it but never delivered, and man may have done that. He never gives himself in pieces. You don't hide yourself to tease us. And I just knew he was speaking that over me. And in that moment, I just began to, to receive it and just thanked him for his love that you don't give your heart to me in pieces. And tears still streaming down my face, but something shifted in that moment of, of realness that I got out of that car and I began to forgive the people that I had felt violated by. And I got out of the car. Circumstances hadn't changed, but you know what it did? My heart. Yeah. I'd forgiven and I was free. Yeah. I didn't need anything from people anymore. And I knew by faith that God did not, when he sent me to Detroit, give his heart in pieces, give himself to me in pieces. He gave himself the whole lock, stock, and barrel. And there was this faith and this expectation that it doesn't matter if people didn't do what they said. He is going to do what he said. There's something about mourning in the circumstance that if you will allow it, to go to that place and not be afraid to just mourn. Sometimes, sometimes it's mourning over your own fault. Sometimes God puts pressure and puts things and highlights something that you need to mourn over your own sin. 
Sometimes it's mourning over, like me, I hadn't done anything wrong. I, I, I just, I, I, I'm broken. Like, help, you know? And it's just allowing yourself to mourn that you find the comfort of God when you look to him. Lord, I've got to have it from you, and you find comfort in the, in the middle of that. God's mourning process, and here's the thing, going back to Peter, Pretorius, who was in that Pombara, Mozambique. I want you to hear this. God's mourning process, again, using that example of Peter, sometimes he caused you to feel the anguish that he feels that when you will mourn, and not push it away, and not resist it, but when you will mourn, you wind up desiring the comfort that he himself is, is comforted by. In other words, God wanted to see those 1.3 million children and growing fed, and he needed somebody to crave after that comfort more than the other stuff in Peter's personal life, I've got to see these children cared for. I have to, I have to, I have to. And when it, finally that morning reached that place, God had somebody who was going to do something. And he found his comfort in the thing that God's heart needed comfort from. Do you follow what I'm saying? You have a calling, my friends. There is something that God wants to do in the earth and he's uniquely designed you to do it and he will bring you through circumstances to cause you to identify with what he wants that in the process of mourning, you will discover purpose. Let's go on to the third and last one. Blessed are the, uh, verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That word meek in the Greek word, the Greek language that it's translated to in our New Testament into English is a word that was used by the military of that time when they were describing war horses. So obviously they weren't flying jets and, you know, bomber airplanes, and they were on horseback, and there was cavalry back in those days. And when a horse was ready, had been tamed, and was absolutely dependable to obedience to its master, it was said to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is, so this idea is that you and I, I'm going to give you a, a, a surprise information. Are you ready? Yeah. You and I, every single one in this room, there's parts of us that are insubordinate, that are rebellious, that are still bucking, yeah. and God is wanting bucking. You know what I'm saying? That thing of like, <laughs> just kind of trying to, <laughs> trying to buck this annoying thing that keeps on telling us what to do. And honestly, we are bucking. We're trying to kick God from off of our back. Uh, think about the, 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 the ridiculousness of that, of that picture. The ridiculousness of that picture. You and I need to become meek. Where we're absolutely dependable. And God knows that if he says right, we go right. If he says left, we go left. That state of living are those that inherit the earth. Not just the eternal, heavenly, afterlife reward. We see our earthly inheritance accomplished here in this earth. Because he knows that it's going to be done in his way for his benevolent purposes for mankind and not just for our own selfish interests. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Difficulties, my friends, bring these areas of needed change to the surface. And there are some people in this time right now 
myself included, walking through difficulties, and actually there are areas that God wants to change within us that come to the surface through the difficulties. And we begin to see in the difficulty those things, but some of us have a tendency of wanting to see it but then turn. And God can't help us. It's when we see, allow those impurities to rise to the surface in the heat of the refining of the gold, allowing God in those moments to cut off those impurities from the top so that all that remains underneath is pure gold. And the funny thing is we want to run from God when in fact all he's wanting to do is heal us. Because it's, it's areas of hurt and brokenness that result in these things. He's just wanting to heal us. It feels like it's a scary thing on the front end, but if we can just be meek and stop kicking them off of your back, stop it. Just stop it. It's so stupid. Why do we do that? So ultimately, and this is something that came hot off the press, ultimately, and I'll end with this, this came hot off the press in the sense of I read this this morning in my seeking of God, Psalm 16. I just want to say this. He, Jesus, is our inheritance. We have something that he's called us to, a, a realm to occupy in this earth, in this life, this natural world. It's our inheritance. But for us to receive that, it happens in the context when we really realize that the bigger picture is that he himself is our inheritance, and it's fellowship and intimacy with him that that earthly thing that he wants to give us actually comes. But if you receive that earthly thing in the absence of intimacy and fellowship with him, it ends up being pointless. That ultimately the more important thing is actually him and intimacy with him and the rest flows from it. It's the meekness that we have in relationship with him that flows into the inheritance here in this earth. And Psalm 16 says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. Some of us, our fears, especially in a financial space or maybe even a family space, we have our lot, our, what we think that our life is supposed to look like, God's will for us, and we see circumstances that are countering that, so we try to take it within our own power to fix it. David was saying, you maintain my lot. You're my inheritance. I don't need to change and make sure that my boundaries are right. I need to find you in no matter what I'm walking through, and you will maintain the lot. You will take me through this horrible thing that I'm hopeless thing that I'm walking through and make it that the tail end of it and the back end of it is wonderful and that it's a testimony. Yes, I have a good inheritance. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So conclude with this. Seek him as your inheritance. Do whatever he says. Become meek. Allow circumstances to cause us to embrace poverty of spirit. It, sure, it, it counters everything that you naturally feel. We want to feel strong and robust and able. And God actually says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. When you're desperate. When you're so desperate you're willing to give up something that you otherwise want just to seek him more. And we, we, we want to be comforted at all times. But sometimes God says, I want you to mourn my son and my daughter. 
want you to mourn over this thing. I want you to let it go deep in you and, and go through that we can be comforted. And to become meek. We want to be strong and to go do our thing. And God's saying, if you'll become meek, I'll give you what you were designed to walk in this earth. I want you to prophesy those, and all of us, to prophesy those promises over us, ourselves, over our circumstances, to, to bring them up, because it makes, it's of no value if we just sit here and listen to stuff. It has to go into our actual life, and, we, and in the midst of our circumstances, to begin to speak and to respond to God in the midst of it. Can we pray? Yeah. I'm going to ask Verner to come up and just share if he has anything to encourage us with. But Father... <clears throat> We, we bring, right now, I encourage you, bring your circumstance before him. Be cognizant, be real. And <clears throat> embrace poverty of spirit. Lord, we're desperate. We're not going to solve this ourselves. You're the one with the solution. Allow yourself to mourn if you need to mourn. Allow yourself to become meek if you need to allow him to make adjustments. Lord, cause us, we pray, to be people who are poor in spirit. Cause us to mourn. Cause us to be meek that we would have your kingdom and that we would be comforted and that we would inherit in the earth, what you want to give us.